Hi friends, and welcome to this episode of Today I Am Enough. I'm your host, Kara Murray, and together we will bravely discover truth and joy through sharing our stories, and we will also discover how we can feel and know that we are enough. Hello, welcome to today's podcast. I am super excited for you all to meet Julie, who's one of my friends that I've known for a little while, not super long, but she's wonderful. So I'm just going to have her go ahead and introduce herself. Alrighty. Thanks, Kara, for having me. Yeah, my name is Julie Bristow, and I am originally from Holiday, Utah, which is up in Salt Lake, and kind of consider myself a Salt Lake girl, even though I've been down in Utah County for 12 years. <laughs> I went, I graduated from the University of Utah in human development and family studies. Um, always been interested in um, not just the dynamics of family, but people. People are my jam. <laughs> <laughs> I love people, and um, I actually thought about doing psychology and going into counseling, um, but I remember my counselor just being like, this was a better fit, my counselor up at the U. And so um, stuck with this major, and it was great. And then, uh, yeah, after college, I went to work for my, one of my best friend's dad is a urologic surgeon and over at the University of Utah in Huntsman Cancer in a clinic. So I went to work for one of his partners. And then from there, um, I just stayed in the medical field for like 10 years. Um, different fancy titles, but more or less just a medical secretary. (laughs) (laughs) So I worked, um, in the urology department for a while and then over at primary children's in the pulmonary department with and with cystic fibrosis patients. And then when I came down to Utah County, I worked for the, for OBGYN and then I spent five years at um, Utah Valley Hospital working in the orthopedic and neurosurgery department. Um, but again, I'm not like a healthcare provider, like a nurse or a doctor, <laughs> more on the administrative side. Um, so then, I guess going back at a, in 2004, um, I became a counselor for a church camp um, called Especially for Youth, which is a program in the Church of Jesus. Well, it's not a program of the church, but for the, for Mormons. And, um, I went up to Rexburg, Idaho to be a counselor over these youth and met a boy named Jared, (laughs) who was also a counselor over the youth and we fell in love. Super cheesy place. Oh, but, so cute though. Um, and so then we, a little over a year later after we met, we got married in 2005. So I came down to Utah County. He was finishing up at Brigham Young University. And so I was the breadwinner for a little while. And then when he was done, we looked for jobs out of state. We wanted to have this grand adventure. 
Um, and then he landed a job in the exotic land of Provo, Utah, <laughs> which was right. It's, it's right next door to Orem. So, um, I have now been down here for 12 years and, um, it's been good to me. Never thought I would be in Utah County. I have a little bit of, uh, there's some rivalry between my husband's alma mater and mine, University <laughs> of Utah and BYU, but a little bit of a house divided, but it's been great. And then we have three children. I have an eight and a half year old daughter, and then I have boy girl twins who just turned five this summer. So fun. Yeah. Thank you so much for telling us. I love your story, and I love that you have boy girl twins because I feel like it's everyone's dream. <laughs> It was not my dream, <laughs> but, but I'm happy. It's your I'm happy now. Yes, <laughs> that's great. All right, so Julie has an amazing story. She's just amazing, and I'm so excited that she's here to share her story and her experiences and insight about depression and anxiety in her life and the struggle that it is every single day, and how she works through that and. Um, what's helped her and different things like that. So why don't you jump in and tell us your story? Yeah, I can tell you. Yeah, I will tell a history of kind of when the onset was and kind of how life has been like since then. And the reason I've been telling this story about my mental health issues um, is because I do suffer a lot and I do have a lot of pain, but I do want to spread hope. And my goal is that, like, you can live, like, joy and pain can exist, can coexist, even though that doesn't really seem right. So, as I'm telling my story, um, I don't want it to be a sob story, but one that, like, has been so hard and is still hard every day, but that I do find joy and that I do find fulfillment out of life, um even though it's really, really hard. So, um, I was, I usually start my story about when I was 17 years old. However, I recently realized there was a critical moment or critical time period when I was around 12 years old and I started having these, um, a great fear of sirens, like emergency vehicle sirens. And there was nothing that had ever happened in my life to, to have that. And I took dance on a corner, um, in holiday and right, right across from dance and just down the road was the fire station. And then straight down holiday Boulevard, like a mile or so was my house. And so as I was in dance class and I loved dancing, still do love dancing and singing. Um, every time a fire engine would come past, like, all of a sudden, like my life changed because I would freak out and I, in my head, I would think that's going to my house. Something's wrong with my parents or my family. Someone's dying. Someone's, and I don't know where those thoughts originated or came from because I had had like nothing to, to like no trauma. Yeah. yeah. It's not like I showed up one day and saw an ambulance outside of my house, you know, a year prior to that or anything. So it was very strange and it became very, um, hard in my life. Um, so I would like bust out of dance class to like the f attached phone on the wall and, you know, dial my num my parents number and, 
if my parents didn't answer, I would just freak out. Um, and then when they would answer, I would just, I'd be like, are you okay? And my mom was just like, yeah, why? And Hmm. so it, I found out like at a young age that I was having these very, these triggers, these emotional triggers, yeah. You know, and it really crippled me. Like, I couldn't have sleepovers at friends' house. Um, I would, neighbors that lived close by, I would run home in the middle of the night and, like, leave my neighbor's door unlocked <laughs> because I had left and the parents yeah. didn't know I left. And I would run home pounding on my door. Um, so from a young age, there was definitely some sensitivity to um, things which I think is tied to anxiety. You know, I was, it's a, it's an irrational fear of something that wasn't happening. Yeah. But I was just sure of it in my mind. So that kind of happened through my teens, but it wasn't as life altering as later on. So then when I was 17 years old, um, I, besides the sirens, Mm -hmm. I had a super, super happy childhood, like really great family, um, great parents. I had wonderful friends. I had a great time in junior high, a great experience in high school, made friends easily, had just surrounded by awesome people. I was the president of my, um, junior class and just everything was going really well. Like picture perfect. Yeah. It was just picture perfect. I was happy. I was happy from the inside out. And I was the silly one. I was the one that would make people laugh. Um, I had so much energy. I got straight A's. And then around, like right before my senior year of high school started, so around age 17, I just literally didn't want to get out of bed anymore. I couldn't get out of bed anymore. I felt like I couldn't. And... um, I didn't understand it. So that was 20 years ago. So do you feel like that was like gradual or was it just like one day you just... That's a really good question. Do you remember? I don't remember. I think it... I don't remember it being gradual, but I also have a really bad memory sometimes. Mm -hmm. I never went through like, oh, I'm just tired all the time or this. It just... Yeah, it was strange. So my senior year, like I hardly made it to school. I was like a 4.0 student or close to a 4.0 um, through junior high and high school. And then like I just started not going to school my senior year, getting not good grades because I wasn't going to school and I couldn't function. And I still had great friends, and but I didn't really know what to say to them. And they didn't know what to say to me. People would just tease me like, Oh, you're having senioritis. And, um, I would just laugh it off because like, I honestly didn't understand what was going on with me. So my mom finally dragged me to, and I say dragged because I was very resistant to get medical help. I don't know if it was a counselor or a psychiatrist or whatever. And, um, I was diagnosed with depression at that point. I don't know if they said depression and anxiety, but anyways, um, so getting, yeah, so that's kind of where it all started. And 
so after I graduated from high school, and I did graduate, <laughs> yay! Yeah, I went to the University of Utah, and um, it college definitely has a lot more demands, and I became very um, aware of that, and I couldn't get out of bed again. Like I still couldn't get out of bed. Like even though I was on medicine and being treated, it wasn't really working. And so to get through college, I went through a program. I don't know if it's still called this, but it was like the American Disabilities Act. And you, you know, you get notes from your doctors and they let you have more time to take tests or, um, turn in your homework or assignments. It's not like they let you slide through, but you... You just get a little. You extra, get more your time. time frame is larger. Your time frame is larger, and that literally, I don't think that I would have made it through college without that. Yeah. And so I graduated from college, which was another like huge victory with um, just the darkness and the heaviness that I was going through. I think college. I think my early, my late teens and my early twenties were probably some of the darkest times of my depression and anxiety. Um, Do you think it's just because it was where you were trying to figure everything out and what was going on? Or why yeah. Do think, um, why do you think it was darker? I think it was, I think because it was all new and mm-hmm. I didn't, I think because I didn't know, I didn't have tools. Okay. And if I had tools, sense. I didn't know how to use them. Yeah. And then... Um, just going through like dating and like I had a serious relationship like that just going through dating and I had had a serious relationship and I just like the highs and lows of of dating and the highs of lows of going through college and um, and all those things were just just contributed to that so demanding and so taxing and so um but I think about like 21, 22, I'm can think about it now. I started to pick myself back up and college became really enjoyable. And I got involved in a lot of like student government at the college and, um, the, the LDS Institute and just really thrived. And it, that was kind of like my last year or two. And so I ended on a good note. <laughs> <laughs> So then I entered the workforce and that was super hard. Like working, like being on time for things has always been a struggle. So I got reprimanded a few times, but I just kept plugging along and I just kept fighting. And, um, and then I met Jared and he was so great. And about after, I think it was like two months after we were dating him, I told told him about the depression and anxiety and I didn't want to scare him off right away. Well, right. Of course. So first I made him fall in love with me. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no. And obviously we had still another year before we got married before that. So he saw me at my worst and he saw the struggle still of not being able to get out of bed and, um, and still chose to be with me. <laughs> And so 
um, yeah, we got married and, you know, it's interesting because having depression, taking care and anxiety, taking care of yourself is really hard. And then you add, um, a partner in that who you want to take care of and that makes it even harder. Yeah. And then you add kids to that mix <laughs> and it makes it even harder. Um, so yeah, a few years after we got married, we went through a lot of infertility struggles and issues and, um, finally, uh, we're able to have three beautiful children and, um, I absolutely love, love being a mom. Um, and I fought for it. And sometimes when my children call me mom, like they always call me mom, but when I hear the word mom, like I sometimes still get the chills just because it's, it's like the greatest gift and that I've ever had. And being a wife to my husband, it's, it's everything that I've ever wanted. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of, kind of the, the history of of the progression of it and, um, but nothing's changed. I, I have something that's called it's well, it's just depression and anxiety, but <laughs> I have generalized anxiety disorder, which means, um, it's not social anxiety and it's, it's general. Yeah. <laughs> so you, everyone has anxiety. Like yeah. And Do you stress. still, they bother me still. Um, but it's changed to now where it's, if my kid is playing at a house down the street and I hear a siren really close, I just panic and I'll like try to dial the mom and like text her. And if she doesn't respond, I've actually like ran down the street. Like it's bizarre. Like I've never, I don't think I've ever met anyone with this phobia, trigger, fear. Um, it's strange. So they, so they still bother me. And, um, but I think it's getting a little bit more manageable. Yeah. I don't know. That makes sense. It, it's easier when your kids are young because you can keep them close. Like, I have no idea what I do when my kids are and driving. they're right driving. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I will wrap them in bubble wrap, make them wear a helmet while driving. Just kidding. No, so. You'll get there. Yeah. Eventually I think, and then decide what you One day at do. a time. <laughs> um. So how are you functioning with your day-to-day life with kids and a husband, like you said, adding to those, um, adding extra people to take care of? So what does that look like? Yeah. Um, Okay. So like I was saying, generalized anxiety disorder is more, everyone has anxiety and you're just heightened. Like some, something that would cause someone a little bit of anxiety causes you intense anxiety. Um, I have this anxiety where even if nothing is happening, like I just have this constant feeling of panic, like that won't go away. And everyone's like, can you pinpoint it? And I can't most of the time. It's just this yucky feeling of being on edge and like panicking. And it's a horrible, horrible feeling. And then with the depression, that's more of like, I don't want to get out of bed. I don't have any energy. Mm-hmm. I can't do anything. Um, and the depression and anxiety go hand in hand. It's kind of like a vicious cycle. And for me, I've noticed anxiety has been much more prevalent in my life. Um, 
lately because I, I'm up and I'm taking care of kids. And so kids cause anxiety every day, right? Yeah. To anyone. Totally do. So, um, but then you, I get so anxious and so exhausted that like every, I'm just fatigued. So then it goes to the part of the cycle where it's depression, where it's like, mm-hmm. I shut down, I shut off and I can't function anymore. And then it's just, it goes round and round and round. So, um, I have this quote that, um, kind of reminds me of what it's like with quick kids. It kind of makes me laugh. It's one of those memes. It says, I am not anxious. I am just extremely well educated about all the things that can go catastrophically wrong. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. And so that's how my brain thinks. I'm always like worst case scenario girl. And I hate it. Yeah. Um, my brain thinks in like, like the other yesterday, I like felt this weird lump in my, like right here, like in my neck and they can't see, you, they can't see me <laughs> and just like my head goes to like cancer like yeah you know and I think we all have a little bit of that but then I'll have like the panic response of like Jared I have cancer you know and then I just have to like talk myself like okay Julie talk yourself down are you being irrational yeah <laughs> and um so, but, and then when my kids are sick, like I, that, that just, that is so hard for me. Uh, my daughter had a blood disorder and it, that mimicked leukemia and going through that for a year, I just had so much panic and I wish, I wish I could have handled it differently, but hindsight is twenty twenty. It, it totally is. I think we all so, go through that. Yeah. Um, a couple other examples of what anxiety looks like for me, because a lot of people are like, you're so happy, you're so fun, you know, you have, you know, or they look at my social media and you do so many fun things with your kids. And it's like, well, yeah, we went on this awesome, we went up to Snowbird and we went on this awesome hike and da da da. But did you know I didn't get out of bed till 4 p.m. that day, you know? Mm-hmm. And people just don't know that. And yeah. so, um, and that doesn't happen like every day, but that is one of my realities, you know, and last, a few months ago I was with my husband and I were like on a kid free vacation and we were at Universal Studios in Hollywood and we like there, I was in the California sun. We were, you know, it was fun. There was no stresses of like to-do lists just to have fun. That's yeah. all my to-do list was. And I didn't have, you know, I knew the kids were fine because we talked to them this morning, but I just felt panicky all day. Like I was telling you before. Yeah. And we would go from like one place to another. And finally, you know, midday, I just sat down on a bench and just burst out crying. And Jared's what's her he was like, what's wrong? And I'm like, I'm just so anxious. And the question is always about what? And my answer is like, I don't don't know. know. Often I can pinpoint an anxiety. Like if I'm anxious about the lump that's in my neck, but it's just, it's very painful. It's very exhausting. And, um, it's very crippling Mm -hmm. where, and so mornings, 
mornings are the hardest because I wake up and I feel like I have a million pound weight on my body. Just like you're going to go through all these emotions again today. Don't get out of bed, you know? Mm -hmm. And so my anxiety is triggered mostly in the morning. Just like starting the day over, you know, you've got to feed your kids, you've got to get dressed, you've got to get showers, just simple things that we kind of take for granted. Um, Like taking a shower, brushing my teeth, those things are like really difficult for me and I don't know why, but they are. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And making my kids breakfast or getting my kids to school on time, like it's really, really hard. And I know it's hard for everyone, but it it's it actually almost paralyzes me sometimes because I'm so panicked about it and I'm trying to get over that because I think you can get into this rut of you know there's studies on learned helplessness where you've struggled for so long so then you just think oh I can't do this and I actually am uh, really struggling with some of that right now and so I keep having to say, I can do this. Or like daily affirmations. Daily affirmations, yeah. Um, it's amazing what we can train our mind to do sometimes. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot that we can't train our mind to do. I think, you know, like you can't just train your mind out of depression and anxiety. Right. But it can be a tool to get you up and going. Yeah, hopefully. absolutely. And one thing that I, um, as I talk about this panic... Um, and what anxiety feels like on the inside. Oh, what I was going to say about the, the thing up being at Universal Studios, like people around me saw a couple hand in hand, happy, smiling. I was taking Insta stories, selfies, you know, but nobody knew what like the internal struggle I was Mm -hmm. unless they saw me when I was crying on the bench. (laughs) Yeah. But and that just teaches me that we never know what other people are going through, ever. Like, so true. And that, you know, kindness and love and service and reaching out are so important. Even the people that look picture perfect, that's not me, but <laughs> the people that look picture perfect, they struggle. Everyone does. Everyone does. I think does. it's so hard to remember that, too. And I think that's so much a part of my message is we all... Look, yeah. and it's like, I posted the other week, actually, is like, the grass always looks greener. But, yes, I But I when, we get, when we get to know someone and see their perspective, we realize that they have different shades of green just like we do. I loved that post. Because that was it's, perfectly put. It's just true. Like, I don't know. It's just interesting when you can and have that And it teaches you to be like, okay, let me be happy with what I've got, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so... And finding the good in your own life. Yeah. From that, I just, I have learned that, like, even those, even the women or people that seem to have everything that I want, like, they have different struggles Mm -hmm. that are just as hard, but they're different. Yeah. So, um, I've tried, it always baffles me because I've had this for so long. It always baffles me when people don't know what depression or anxiety feels like. Because even if you don't have it chronically like I do, a lot of people have dealt with postpartum depression or like Mm -hmm. perinatal depression, I think is what it's called, or just episodic depression. Or postpartum anxiety. I have a couple of friends that have had that really severely. Absolutely. 
And whenever I say depression, I think I mean depression and anxiety. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so a lot of people identify with it, but some people don't, don't. And so the way that I've explained it to people, because I think everyone could feel this type of panic and this is how it has felt for me. So say you, and this is actually going to hit close to home to you because I know some of your experiences, but for those listening, like say your child or, um, like your spouse, like you receive a phone call, right. And from the hospital and it's your child or your spouse or your parent. And the person on the other end of the line says, so-and-so's been in a terrible accident. They're in the operating room right now, but you need to come to the hospital right now. Mm-hmm. So you go to the hospital and you're there and you're just pacing the floors and you have no idea whether this person that is so close to you that you love is going to live or die. So you try to like put that imagery into someone and say, think of the, the panic you would be feeling right then. So that is how I feel when I'm struggling with anxiety, but there is no situation like that. Right. So I feel that level of like intense, like it's the end of the world. Somebody's going to die. I'm just everything for no reason. And that's how painful it is. And that's really, I mean, I think that's universal. We can all relate with being terrified of losing a loved one or, you know, going through something as traumatic as that. Yeah. And so that's one way of tr- I've been able to illustrate a little bit about what it's like. So that's yeah. what it's like on the inside for me. <laughs> that's a lot every day. Yeah. And so, <clears throat> yeah, for me, like it's the hours of the day, <clears throat> excuse me, just kind of change. Sometimes it's like at a 10, sometimes it's at a five sometimes that it's it's at a two um but it is there every day so and you just keep going (laughs) you're making like that I don't know (laughs) have you ever been suicidal before because that can happen a lot with depression anxiety that is a great question and that is where I find myself being an anomaly um, I have never had serious intentions of taking my life. Um, and when there, when I have been in bed for days, weeks, months, or been paralyzed and crippled by anxiety, you know, for years, um, I don't know why I, I haven't like that hasn't been a struggle been a struggle because for so many people in the exact same boat as me it has been and um it's been a huge blessing um I think when I go through these periods of deep darkness and hopelessness from all the counseling and all all the things I've been through um tools and things I've gained and knowledge I've gained and just I guess it's just maybe this innate like survival school I really don't know I really don't know why I, I I've been 
I'm different, but I'm grateful that I am. Um, I, I logically in my head know that I'll make it even though it feels like I don't. Does that make sense? And that is honestly one of the greatest blessings of my entire life. Um, because I very often can't feel hope, but I know hope is there. And I don't know how that has come to pass. Um, and so when I'm going through something really difficult or it's really dark, um, I just kind of, I guess, ride the waves of that suffering, um, until like I find pieces of myself back in, but I do have an escape. Um, sleep is my escape. So if I can shut off my brain, if I can shut off everything that I feel like is attacking me, mm-hmm. that's my escape. So for some people, it may be alcohol or, you know, to numb the pain yeah. or some people suicide. That's the only option because a lot of people with depression suffer with insomnia. Right. I'm the other way where I'm like, I can sleep hours on end. Um, so that has been my escape and it's been hard. It's been hard as a mother and as a wife to not be able to get out of bed. Mm-hmm. Um, how do your kids deal with that? You know, they, I mean, they're a little bit older now. They're a little bit older now. Um, we've taken it day by day. I've had a super, super supportive and incredible husband who's been a hands-on dad and just helped me so much. And, um, my oldest daughter, when she was young, I don't think I suffered as much as when she was young in her younger years, she's eight and a half. But then when the twins came along and I had three children, three and under, you know, everything hit, we had a lot of help from family. Um, and then as I don't know. I would just, <laughs> I would literally sit in the living room. I would like barricade the twins in at least. And just like when they could crawl and walk. Yeah. <laughs> and I lit- literally sat like in a zombie state for the entire day. And when they would nap, I would nap. And it was sad. It was a hard, I mean, I've, I had joy with them, but I felt like I could look at other people in similar situations with children my ages or even twins and, you know, they were on all these outings, but I just had to be in survival mode. Now, as they've gotten older, um, my oldest daughter is, I always get emotional when I talk about her, but she has just been an angel from the very beginning. I really feel like God sent her to me, um, for many reasons and she's been a gift and she's just super patient, super forgiving, super, um, chill and just not demanding. I remember struggling a lot and she would just play with Legos for hours, you know, and I was always there. I, I'm never like, like my, my kids are supervised. I may be laying down or I just because I feel so anxious. Mm -hmm. Things are changing and they need and want their mom more. Mm -hmm. And, um, there's just been different seasons. And 
so my oldest daughter is still like, she's kind of like a little mom. And if I'm not up by breakfast time, she, she'll help the twins get some breakfast. Isn't it fantastic having yes. kids that can do that? <laughs> it really is. Except for she goes back to school soon. And then, <laughs> um, but then my youngest daughter, she's just, and then my, well, yeah, my youngest daughter, she's just this fiery girl and she just comes in and she's like, get out of bed, mom, wake up. And she'll like pry my eyes open or she'll pull my foot or she'll take the blanket off. And it's, it's been really interesting, but it's kind of like, maybe I need this. Maybe I need to kick in the pants. And I really (laughs) feel like, like children are here. I feel like God sends children to kind of help us keep like, keep you on your toes. Right. Like they challenge me every day, but it's, it's, for my betterment, you know, and hopefully I can give them, um, what they need as well. But, um, with my children, there is so much love and so much affection and so much emotional connection. Um, we just have a really unique and really strong bond and they have been forgiving of the times you know, when mom needs to go take a nap or this or that. But so what about your son? You talked about both your daughters. Yeah, I did. A little bit of both. He, um, he's a little bit of both. Yeah. He's more, he's less controlling than his twin sister, Molly. He's more (laughs) like, um, my oldest daughter and more like, I, the sad thing is, is I think he kind of thrives on it because it allows him to get into a little bit more mischief. (laughs) Quietly. Yeah. So, um, that's funny. But again, yeah, they, but even if I am like in bed for like the first few hours of the morning, mm-hmm. like that's typically what it is. Like I am, yeah. I don't wake up early. So it's, but the kids are in and out, in and out. Molly will bring a gallon of milk. I open it. She'll go pour <laughs> cereal. Noah will bring, the Nutella. <laughs> so, um, you know, and I, I do not want my kids to remember, um, mom being in bed. And so <clears throat> I'm really pushing myself to like figure out how to make peace with mornings and how to like push past that because I don't want for that for myself. Yeah. Um, and now that they're getting older, you can get away with a lot of stuff when kids are young. Okay. Cause you know, they're not really yeah. going to remember. <laughs> and now that they're older, I'm like, I get like back to what I said, they're keeping me on my toes. Yeah. A lot of times depression <clears throat> and anxiety can be found in other places within like families. So is there some family history there? Yes, definitely. Um, and I think that's why... Um, it came on the way it came on. Um, it's so genetic and it's so, um, genetically predisposed. I believe that my grandma's mom, um, had it. I think she was in a mental hospital. Um, but they, my grandma would always say, oh, she didn't have depression. She was, she, what did she say? She got, um, pregnant out of wedlock and that's where all her problems came from, you know, just that (laughs) older mentality. Right. So then my dad has actually struggled with depression, anxiety since he was 17. 
Hmm. And he is 72 now. And he's kind of the same type as me. Like, um, we've been on all sorts of medicines and sometimes they'll work for a while and then they'll stop working and then we start a different thing. And, um, I think it's been hard for him because he, he could never talk about it and, you know, really growing up and doing things. So he, he mostly has just powered through it his whole life. And then as he became a dad and an adult, like I would say forties, fifties, it hit him really hard. He had to take some medical leaves from work and my grandma only passed, his mother only passed away um, three years ago, she lived to be 101. Oh my goodness. <laughs> but she never once acknowledged mental illness or that her son, you know, what it was. It was mm-hmm. just, it was, it was what she told him was that, was that it was in his head. Well, it is in his head because it's in his brain. <laughs> but just kind of the he buck up, it up mentality. And that broke my heart. Yeah. It would be so hard not to have that support. Yeah. And again, that's, I think it was kind of a generational thing. But at that point, my dad had been through so many um, counselors and psychiatrists and medications. And to have his own mother still not recognize that, even in, you know, like, as you're an adult, it still really hurt him. Yeah, and he only has one sister. He had one sibling, and and I don't know her stance on it, but it just it wasn't talked about. And but he talked to me about it, and he helped me through it. And he, um, honestly, he he has an innate ability to counsel people and to teach people. And he, you know, he's been really, really helpful even though he hasn't always handled it with grace um you know I remember as a young kid there there were sometimes empty threats like well I'm gonna this was I'm gonna take my life and then he would drive off and that would cause me panic but he never meant it um but I didn't know that until you know I got older and Mm -hmm. we still dealt with those empty threats he's calmed down so much now just because he's he's dealing with aging and he's just tired. Yeah. <laughs> and so he's and his his pain came out a lot in like tempers too. Like a temper, which I think is very typical with men. And then um um I have a nephew living with me um who told me it would be okay to share and he he started struggling about the same age too, 17. His best friend was killed in a car accident the year before. And that definitely triggered a lot of things. But I still 100% believe that our family is very strongly genetically predisposed yeah. to this. Um, and so he lives with us now just because he needed a change of scenery. And, um, and he's making awesome progress and he's working hard. But it's... It was scary for a couple of years. He was in a really dark place. Um, and, you know, during those last couple of years of high school. And um, I'm so proud of him pulling through and enduring and um, and not giving up. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. And be hard. Yeah. It was really hard and painful to watch from a distance. Um, I mean, they just live about 45, like his family, my brother, they live about 45 minutes away from us. And there were some definitely, definitely some times of crises and, um, where we were scared we were going to lose him, but, uh, that never happened. And he's, we've kind of created an army around him now of, um, counselor, psychiatrist, a mentor, and just, um, he's doing great. And then the other thing I wanted to talk about was my husband has struggled with depression and anxiety and it's much, much more mild than mine. It doesn't really cripple him the way that it cripples me, but I think it manifests itself in just kind of, um, mood, like a mood disorder almost. Mm -hmm. It's not a mood disorder, but, um, where you're just, you get angry and you don't know why. And, and, you know, he'll be angry at really simple things. And then we get to the bottom of it and he's in tears and it's just Mm -hmm. because he was in pain. Yeah. And, um, we found out that, his grandpa, um, also struggled with mental illness and he struggled so severely that he, um, had to do that electric shock treatment, which was totally different back in the day, like on the metal table with leather straps where they would like shock you. (laughs) Um, kind of sounds terrifying. Yes. (laughs) Really uncomfortable. (laughs) But the sad thing was, is that, um, Jared's family never told him that mental illness ran in their family. They never told mm-hmm. him about it because they're, I think there is shame connected to it. And again, um, it's a gener- kind of a generational thing, right? Yeah. <clears throat> they were taught from their parents not to talk about it. So they didn't talk about it. And, but it did really affect Jared because for years he didn't know what was going on. He's mm-hmm. like, why do I not feel good? And I think just knowing, you know, whether you have cancer in your family or diabetes or mental illness, knowing what runs through your family just helps you to be a little, like your eyes be a little bit more open. So you can Mm -hmm. be like, oh, okay, I'm having these symptoms. Maybe I should go talk to someone about it. And the reason I bring that up is because there's so much shame that's brought to this, you know, this, uh, mental illness, right? There's such a stigma and so much shame. And so I wish we could have found out sooner what was going on with him, but we have now and he gets help. And again, his is very mild comparatively to mine. I mean, he, he functions well, he does great at work, um, And, uh, yeah, it's not like the crippling, paralyzing stuff that I deal with. So, so yeah, we are very familiar with it. (laughs) Unfortunately. Unfortunately, right? Yeah. So what made you want to speak out? You know, like you said, there's a lot of shame or people that want to just kind of keep things quiet. And I think, I think in general as a society, we're starting to come around where we're more willing to talk about it, 
But what is it that made you want to talk about it more? Yeah, that's a great question because, um, like I said, back when I was 21-ish, I was like, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to, you know, I want to share this message. It has been a huge passion of mine to spread awareness of mental health. Um, I also had a, one of my best friends, um, her older brother, who was just two years older than us and also a close friend, took his life. And um, that was heartbreaking. And I, you know, you see the suicide rates and you see people losing hope and giving up. And then the, just how it affects families, you Mm -hmm. know. And so I've always had this passion to share this message. And back then it was just like a book was the only way. And... But when you have depression, anxiety is bad that as I do, like focusing is very hard. So like writing a book is a little, yeah, writing tricky. a book is a little daunting. Um, and so I've just kind of done it through social media a little bit over the years. And then I think once my twins turned about four, I would, I kind of had a handle on life again. <laughs> it took me four years and I had this renewed, like, okay, I want to share again. I want to help people know that they're not alone. This is really important to me. Um, And I'm not ashamed. And I want to teach people that they don't need to be ashamed either. And um, one author I love is Brene Brown. Mm -hmm. She's a shame researcher. And she has so, you know, several books where she talks about shame. And one of her quotes is only when we are brave enough to explore the darkness, will we discover the infinite power of our light. And so, you know, when I explore like what is going on with my depression, what and anxiety and my darkness, like that has led to a place where I feel like I can give of light. And, um, there's a girl, Josie Solomon of the 444 project oh, who yeah. speaks about depression and anxiety. And she's had, a, she, she's had it way worse than I have. Yeah, and I she think has she, it pretty severe. It's amazing yeah. to read her story. And I think she has some other things going on right now too, other health problems. But there, this quote has stuck in my head that I read from her and it says, or she just said, You don't have to be healed to help. I love that. And I just think that's so great. I'm like, I'm not on the other side of this. I'm still right in the thick of it. But I do have a little bit of grasp and a little bit of knowledge. I mean, after 20 years of counseling on and off, I've learned a lot about thought processes. And I've Mm -hmm. learned a lot about shame and stigmas and different things. And... It's kind of like, if I don't do it, if I don't help people, like, who else will? Like, how many lives will suffer? And it's not like I'm making this huge impact, but even just helping my family or friends or a few people on social media, like, that's worth it to me. Yeah. I don't do it for popularity. I don't do it for (laughs) money. Actually, people are always like, why do you tell that stuff? Like, you know, because people don't want to hear, well, people... 
are often afraid to share like the not so pretty yeah, side of like the hard things. The hard things. Yeah. Um, and because it's uh, become a little bit more natural to me, I mean, the honest answer is I feel compelled. I don't know where from. I don't know why. I truly feel compelled. Um, and I really just, I want people to know that they're not alone in their struggles. Um, and I want them to know that there's hope even when they feel like completely wrapped up in darkness because I've felt like that in my life. Um, and I was, I had this experience the other day with my daughters and my oldest daughter was telling my youngest daughter how proud or she was saying, I think she was getting a blood draw. My youngest daughter was getting a blood draw. And my oldest daughter was like, I'm so proud of you. You didn't cry, oh. you know, and everything. And, oh, she said, you are so brave, Molly. <laughs> and I was proud of that. But then it, like, made me think. And I'm like, do we equate bravery with the with lack of emotion and what do I want to do I teach my kids that it's brave to not cry or can I teach my kids as well that it's you can cry and that's still being brave because yeah. you're brave enough to show your emotion um and so like I don't want bravery to be like going stoically throughout our difficulties in life without crying, without asking for help, keeping this poker face on, yeah. um, meaning we're brave, right? Yeah. I think letting your guard down and asking for help, um, is one of the bravest things you can do. I think humility equals bravery yeah. in, in my mind. Um, some of the most brave and courageous acts I have seen through others is that ability to push away their pride in order to show emotion, ask for help, let their guard down and just know that we don't have to bottle up our feelings and we don't have to pretend that everything's okay if we don't feel okay. Mm -hmm. And, um, so that's an, like another like main thing that I want to get across to people that you are being brave by being vulnerable, yep. which is another thing Brene Brown talks about, vulnerability, yeah. and by asking for help. Like, I texted my nephew the other day, and I just, um, he didn't have a good day, and then he went and talked to his counselor and his, like, his psychiatrist, and I just said, I want you to know that you, I feel like you were so strong. I feel like you were stronger for asking for help than trying to go it alone. Mm -hmm. And that really resonated with him. Um, you know, a young, barely 19 year old. Yeah. He was like, I never thought of it that way. <laughs> yeah. I love the word brave. Yeah. It's one of my favorite words. Cause it really, it can mean lots of different things. I think depending on our situation. Absolutely. But sometimes we just have to be brave to do hard things. Yeah. And, and I have those emotions. Yeah, and I think there there are many times in life when um, holding it together for our kids, say, for example, mm -hmm. so that they're not panicked. Yeah. Um, that's a time when 
when it is brave to not show emotion, right? Yeah. You don't so, need to pass that anxiety on to kids. Yeah. So there's no, like, one way to explain brave, but I just, it made me rethink that, like, I want to teach my kids and I want to teach other people that bravery can mean a myriad of things in different circumstances. Yeah. And, yeah. And sometimes that's just being humble enough to say, I need more. Absolutely. I need somebody. Yeah. So what would you say to people that are struggling with depression and anxiety? Um, <clears throat> first of all, I would say you are not alone. Um, and do not give up. Um, I know that the darkness is real and the hopelessness and the helplessness is real. I know that it feels like the end of the road, even though I said that I have never seriously contemplated suicide. There have been many times when I have told my parents or my husband, I want to die because that seems like the only escape, right? Um, and so like ending your life or other harmful escapes, honestly, sometimes seems like the only option. I've felt that I've felt yeah. of that. Um, but there is help out there. And if you can't find help right away, please just wait it out. Like, with every fiber of your being, just wait out the storm. Um, and you will often have to fight for help when you don't have fight in you. And that's when you need to be brave and open up to others. Tell someone what you're struggling with um, and going through. It's okay to admit you're feeling alone. It's okay to admit you're feeling hopeless. It's okay to admit you're having dangerous thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um get help and get rid of the shame. Get rid of the shame and the stigma of getting help. That is crap. Like it's critical too. To get it's rid critical. Of it. Yeah. Um, medicine has helped me lead a semi-normal, joyful life. Get rid of the stigma of going on medicine um, I think we look at all these people and if we knew how many people were medicated or going to counseling or <sighs> this or that, we would be shocked because people often don't feel comfortable talking about it. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying medicine is always the answer. Like it could be counseling. It could be maybe changing your diet or exercising. It just depends on what level and how severe it is. Mm -hmm. Often medicine is... Um, just for a couple months. I've had a lot of friends who've had postpartum depression and they go on medicine for a few months and they, crit yeah. they really needed it critically, but then they were able to go off mm -hmm. and that's awesome. That's just not me. That's not my story right now. Right. Um, <clears throat> I think the world teaches us shame about these things. And one thing that I've noticed is that when we speak our shame, we set ourselves free. So he, me here telling you all my struggles 
it helps set my heart, my soul, my shame free. Yeah. Because it is what it is. And when we bottle it up, I think it just tends to like compound and the shame just gets worse. And I think when we're really, really struggling um, and we want to take our life or we want to do harmful things, what we really mean, and I think what you really mean, not you, Kara, but what people listening mean, is they want relief. Yeah. That's why people turn to it, you know, whatever they turn to or turn to suicide. And they feel like they're a burden. Mm-hmm. And um, your thoughts of feeling like a burden are are irrational. And it's hard to see that when you're in it. It's hard. It's really hard to see it. Yeah. Um, and so I just, I want to say to people, I promise that there are joys that will come in your life through endurance. Um, even when the dark feels impenetrable, I've felt that dark. I've felt the light. So it's like one minute, one breath at a time. Just keep breathing, keep fighting. You are worth it and you are not a burden we all fall in the comparison trap and um, the quote comparison is, is the thief of joy rings truer than ever. I think especially in this social media age when we see pictures and video and everything and it looks like everyone's happy and everyone's okay. Perfect life. Perfect life. And that's not reality. Um, We are all distinct and separate human beings and no two lives or challenges are the same. Even if they fall under the same umbrella, even if someone else struggling with depression and anxiety, like it doesn't feel the same to them as it does to me. Yeah. There are things that we relate to and things in common, but it looks different on everyone. And you really need to focus on, um, like beating to your own drum. Yeah. Is that the same? <laughs> yeah. Beat to the sound of your own drum. And um, so like sometimes my accomplishments will be, I got out of bed at 1045 this morning instead of noon. And I know other people like that's appalling. They're like, what? 7 a.m. is sleeping in for me. And then I feel shame and I feel bad about myself. But I'm learning that... Um. I have such different challenges, so I have to treat myself, my body, my mind, my spirit with those challenges in mind, right? Exactly, yeah. You wouldn't say someone to someone in a wheelchair like, oh, I bet tomorrow you can stand up, you know, <laughs> like you just right. wouldn't. Yeah, And I love that. so you really need to um, focus on just your own progress and what you can do and what you can do. Yeah. Um, and then one thing that my, my good friend, Jan, who has, um, stage four breast cancer, she has cancer throughout all her body. And I asked her a few months ago, I was like, Jan, what do you do? Like, how do you stay positive just with all of this going on? And her, one of her number one things was a gratitude journal. And she's like, as, you know, grim as things look, this helps me get through my day to day. 
And when you are so sad and so depressed, you literally can't see one. Sometimes you can't see one good thing. But if you just, I mean, look around and be like, I'm thankful, you know, I woke up today. Yeah. I'm thankful I brushed my teeth. I'm thankful that I'm walking, you know, start little. And I really think that that just paves a way to, um, to widen like your understanding of the world around you. Because when you are really, really depressed and really, really anxious, your world is pretty much just you. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to think about others and it's not a selfish thing. It's a symptomatic thing. Yeah. If that makes any sense. Yeah. And so I loved that, that she shared with that with me about her gratitude journal. We hear about gratitude journals all the time, but I think like really taking the challenge and just doing that is, you know, could be life changing. Well, I think it's like affirmations. It's just having that perspective shift. All right. So what would you say to people who are living with someone that has depression and anxiety? That is a great question because, um, my husband has lived with me for 12 years <laughs> and it's been interesting as he's struggled a little bit more over the past couple of years, I've seen that other side. Um, and you know, my first, the, just like I would give with somebody who struggles with it. My first thing to give to someone who has a loved one struggling with it is please don't give up on them. Um, and a really, really critical, important piece of advice is to not take it personally. When my husband does not feel well and he's depressed, um, it often comes out in anger. Mm-hmm. And sometimes he'll say mean things that really hurt me. And then later on, um, he's really good. It takes him a while, but he's really good mm-hmm. at being like, I didn't mean that. And he's not like verbally abusive or emotionally abusive. It's just, it hurts because it's out of character for him. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. And, um, not taking it personally is very hard to do, especially when, if you're a sensitive person like I am and you know, things like if I, like if I would just go sleep or whatever, like he would feel abandoned and he would feel lonely and it's taken him time to not take it personally. Okay. So like for someone who's married, to someone who may struggle with depression, anxiety, um, which means that's, you know, kind of a constant everyday thing that affects our marriage, affects the children and everything. I, I would suggest that that person, the non-depressed, the non-anxious person, um, they can go to counseling because they can find tools and resources and strength and support on how to deal with, um, someone who struggles. I love that. Um, I'm a firm believer in counseling. You, you need to find the right counselor that you click with. And I've been 
with a lot of counselors over the years and sometimes it doesn't click. I always give people a chance, you know, um, like I just don't give up on like the first or second appointment. So I've, I've been through a lot of counselors in my life over the last 20 years and I always give people a chance. Uh, like I don't give up after the first or even second appointment, but after a while, if I feel like it's not helping and we're not clicking and we just don't have the same value system or whatever, then I try it for someone else. And that's really hard to do. It's, mm-hmm. it's really hard to go in and tell someone your life story, tell someone your deepest, darkest secrets, what's going on, but it's your marriage, your life, whether you're going to counseling for yourself or whatever, whether it's couples counseling, um, like fight, like fight, don't give up. And, but find someone that you connect with and that you feel safe with and create an army, a network of people to help, um, this particular person, whether it's, uh, a child or a spouse or a parent or whatever, um, fight for the ones you love. Um, and I should add, like, you do not need to stand up to abuse. If you have a loved one that struggles with mental illness so much that they are physically abusing you or emotionally abusing you um, to the point that it's, you know, not okay, you have every right to, you know, stand up for yourself and create boundaries. Um, And so I would never say, don't give up on them, you know, like, be smart. Be smart. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you'll be able to discern. I mean, I hope people will be able to discern. It's hard. It's hard to discern. Like, at what point do I, how much do I tolerate, right? Yeah. Um, and I wanted to read this quote that was by Stephen Fry um, that I really think is a good guideline for helping people that are depressed. And he said, if you know someone who's depressed, please resolve to never ask them why. Depression isn't a straightforward response to a bad situation. Depression just is. Like the weather. Try to understand the blackness, lethargy, hopelessness, and loneliness they're going through. Be there for them when they come through the other side. It's hard to be a friend to someone who's depressed, but it is one of the kindest, noblest, and best things you will ever do. And I really believe that, that being there and not giving up on someone when they suffer, no matter what it is, is nobility. Yeah. It's a beautiful quote. I love that. Yeah. So what are some resources that you know of that you can give to people who are suffering from depression, anxiety, or even might become suicidal from those things? The first thing I would suggest is if you have insurance, give your insurance a call and um, they'll give you a list of mental health providers um, that are covered under your insurance. And then just start calling around and... Um, sometimes, sometimes you'll see long waits with them and sometimes you won't. It just depends, um, you know, uh, on the doctor, on the 
Sometimes they're licensed clinical social workers that are counselors. Um, sometimes they're psychologists. And then psychiatry is a whole different thing. That's with medicine. So okay. um, get a list of your mental health providers. Um, if, you're in a, if you're in crisis mode, um, there's a suicide hotline, which is 1-800-273-TALK. Um, or you honestly could call 911. Um, you can go to an emergency room. And if you tell, if you go walk into the emergency room and tell them that you want to take your life, they are legally bound to like, it not, well, admit you into the ER and, you know, have an evaluation and stuff like that. I had that happen to a friend. She had extreme postpartum anxiety and it just became out of hand. And so her husband in the middle of the night just took her to the ER yeah, and she was able to get the help that she needed, and all that. I mean, it was. I love that she quite did that. Roller coaster, and that is brave. Yeah, that's bravery. Well, I remember her texting a group of us that we were all friends, and she's like, "You guys, this is kind of getting scary. This is what's going on." And we're like, "Go." Yeah, <laughs> two yeah. of us lived close by, and we're like, "Do you need us to come to your house and watch your kids?" You yeah. Know? So but, a, she reached out. Yeah. And b, she like went went with it like yeah. she took action and it was hard it was a big deal but it's very she's, hard yeah she did it though and she's doing good and often um if it's so bad they'll because i used to work at the hospital yeah. not on that floor but they'll admit you up into the um you know mental health unit and mm -hmm. just she was too she yeah. was admitted into the hospital for a little and while she probably and... needed it yeah and, and there is no shame in that. Yeah. Like, we go to the emergency room when we're bleeding or our appendix ruptures. If our brain is not functioning and it's, like, all out of whack, Telling like, how is that different? That totally irrational, it's... Yeah. How is that different? Yeah, you know? exactly. And I know that, that people don't see it that way, but that's kind of my mission. Like, our brain is part of our body. Yeah. Last time I checked. <laughs> and so it is depression and anxiety is physical just because we can't like see the see markers the <laughs> and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, doesn't change it. There is this app that I found out about. Um, this is for Utah, but I do believe that they have them in other states. But this was probably one of the most genius things. Um, and when I read about it, I cried because... I had a young family member going through crisis at the time and the app is called safe Utah and you can just go to the iTunes store and um, type in safe Utah so if there are parents listening or spouses um, the reason they thought this app would be so great is because where are we all the time on our phones. we're on our phones <laughs> So, um, this app for Utah is a text and tip line, and it's a service that provides like real time crisis intervention to, to youth. Um, so it through texting That's awesome. and it's confidential, yeah. um, right from your smartphone. Um, so they have licensed clinicians in their 24 seven crisis line call center and they respond to all these incoming chats 
and texts and calls um, by providing supportive or crisis counseling, suicide prevention, or referral services. Sometimes I'll I'll make sure just to link to that in the show notes for people. And kids can even do it, like, for, like, bullying. Like, I mean, things like that. It's so user-friendly. Um, and it's free. It's anonymous. It's uh, cool. confidential. And then if they feel like an active rescue is necessary, meaning that their crisis, the crisis counselor believes that person is in immediate danger, um, they will send someone to that location. Cool. So, um, yeah. And then just the last, the last website I would give would be, um, the, it's the national Alliance for mental illness, which is www.nami.org. And then they also have one where I live for Utah, www.namiutah.org. And I assume they have one for all of the 50 states since it's a national thing. And, um, there's really great tips, um, a lot more exhaustive, uh, talking about how to help people. If you don't know how to help them, or if you're like, are these symptoms I'm having? You can go look and just see on there. So those are just a few things. There are people out there to help. And, um, so don't be afraid. So where can people find you? Where they can... Reach out to you in case they want someone to ask questions too. So um, I'm mostly on Instagram these days. Uh, My my handle is at julie.in.real.life. And I actually, before I came over here tonight, I thought I would start a hashtag. Um, And so if you click on the hashtag or if you type in the hashtag enduring well with Julie it will link to all the posts where I've been very honest and raw and vulnerable about depression and anxiety a couple of them have uh, I think I did a couple of them on like body image posts but just all my raw and vulnerable stuff so that if people want to read that and then they identify and connect with that just so that they know that they're not alone. Yeah, that's awesome. I do have a a website that's julianreallife.com. I have my story up there and I hope to write more on there um, just about experiences. But for now, I've been doing most of my writing just like shorter I guess they call it microblogging <laughs> on, on Instagram. So perfect. We'll make sure to check Julie out. She has an awesome Instagram feed, <laughs> beautiful blog website. So thank you well, so thank much you. for sharing Thanks your for story and your insight. I really appreciate it. <laughs> thank you, Kara. Thank you for joining us on the Today I Am Enough podcast. Make sure that you're subscribed so you never miss when we have a new episode out. You can subscribe through iTunes, Google Play, your podcast app, or Stitcher. If you know someone that has an amazing story and that you think I should share, or if you have an amazing story you'd be willing to share, feel free to email me at kara, K-A-R-A, 
at todayiamenough.com. I would love to know what your story is, and I would love to share it with our listeners. Go to todayiamenough.com. You can find all of our podcast episodes there, as well as blog posts. Follow us on social media, on Instagram or Facebook at Today I Am Enough. I hope you always remember that today you are enough.